0: and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au.
1: Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode.
0: Good morning, our dear friends and listeners to Palestine Remembered. Another week has gone by. Rob, how are you?
1: I'm very well. And just, just talking about our listeners... I have been inundated by birthday wishes this week because my birthday was on Wednesday. So very, very happy that our listeners uh, seem to be quite fond of us. So thank yeah, you very and, much, uh, only everybody. Only
0: 25 years old? 26. Tw- 26, 26 now. Yeah. Don't, don't no, be not I'm ridiculous. not sure we, we're In counting this year, 26. are we? This COVID year. I'm not ageing by a year this year.
1: Well, I haven't uh, counted for 12 years, but people, you know, as you are going bald and grey, they don't buy it anymore.
0: Now, Rob, we've got a fantastic guest joining us from Brussels today, live from Brussels, i uh, Mr. Frank. Brown. Hi, Frank,
1: how are you? Hi, Rob.
2: Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, happy birthday, Rob. Sorry I missed your, your whatever, 26th birthday. Okay, thank you
1: very much. And I know that you've made the effort to come on tonight because it's my birthday, so that's fantastic as well. Palestine keeps giving.
2: It was all planned.
1: Now, Frank is, a, I've been following Frank's work for quite a while. He's done so much on Palestine. Uh, also done the Russell Tribunal, which I'd like to have a basic chat uh, about at some stage. But what we like, Frank, if you could just tell us, how did you get into Palestine? Did you fall into it? Did you study it? How did it sort of get to this point that you're at today?
2: Uh, th- first, I mean, thanks uh, for having me, Rob, and, um, you know, um, um, shukran it's, uh, Nasser. It's a pleasure. And I think it's really important to keep, you know, talking about Palestine. And that's why such a, I mean, like your show, your, your show is, is very important because uh, you know in the in the world we're living in it seems you know Palestine sometimes seems to be less of an issue uh, where we we I mean the three of us know that Palestine is is still the issue of course so um so to answer your question and and that's obviously a question that you get a lot of the time and I guess you, you probably get the same question Rob right when you you white, uh, you not, um, as, at least as far as I'm concerned, a Jewish of, of Arab descent or, or Muslim in any way. Um, it's a question you often get, but in a way, um, and anyway, you know, I've, I've tried to answer it the best way I can. I, I always try to, f- to find like the, the great answer, but I don't think there's one. Um, I think, as far as I'm concerned, I've always been politically. Uh, interested even if you know it's sort of in a passive way for years you know I was mainly reading books watching documentaries and stuff but um, I think it was uh, I can't remember now like early 2000 or something I was a I lived in I was, you know I was living in London and uh, and the more I read and actually it was Chomsky that I, I read at the time the more the more I realized that Palestine kept coming up, right, as 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 a crucial issue to understand in a way, like the Middle East, but also sort of the, the world we live in. And, um, and uh, so I joined the Palestine Solidarity chapter in my sort of uh, in my neighborhood, which was Brixton at the time. And, you know, we got more and more involved. We're just, you know, doing like little uh, meetings, demonstrations, uh, you know, doing, you know, giving leaflets to people and stuff. And and uh, and I got a friend of mine who was a physician told me that ICAD, which is the Israeli Committee Against House Demolition, help us? was organizing, yeah, was organizing a uh, a ten days study tour of of Israel and Palestine, and uh, and I jumped, you know, at the opportunity. So I spent ten days. Uh, visiting, you know, organizations, charities, activists, both in, in Palestine 48 and in uh, in the West Bank. We didn't go to Gaza. And and this changed everything. I don't know about, I mean, you, Rob, but once you've been, um, I, I love like a quote by um, Arundhati Roy, and she says, like, once you've seen it, you can't unsee yeah, exactly it. Right. And that's exactly what he did for me. He yeah. was like, damn, now that's it. I cannot just go back to my normal life. I've got to do more. And that's what most Palestinians were telling me, right? It's good of you to come, but your job is actually, whatever, in London, in Belgium, in France. It's not, it's not here, right? So, um, so, yeah, I got more and more uh, into it, and, uh, and that's about it. And that's, uh, yeah, and then it took over my life, really, I think, for, for
1: many years. Yeah, uh, and we were just discussing before how you you got banned. So, you know, you've been there and all your work has sort of, you know, has been great towards the Palestinians and showed the reality and truth about Israel to the point where they've said, hey, excuse me, you can't come back.
2: Yeah, and it's, and it's happening more and more. I mean, and uh, I don't think they're very, I mean, I don't think they're like super organized because I know many friends that have done uh, lots of books and stuff on Palestine and that, you know, that still sort of get in. But I also know many friends over the last five, 10 years that have been denied entry. And some of the friends were just having sort of been invited to the, whatever Jerusalem book fair to present a book and they were denied entry. So, um, but, but I think that in a way, you know, I'm trying to find the positive in being denied entry and stuff. And obviously my story in my case is nothing compared to actually Palestinians that are being denied entry. And, and, you know, uh, like, Friends of mine, like uh, in the last years and stuff, but uh, I think that you know, when it's like when a lion is cornered, right? He's pushed into a corner, uh, it tends to react in a crazy way, right? And I think maybe, and I hope so, that that's where Israel is now. Um, Israel knows. It's, it's lost the sort of moral argument. Yeah. So they just realized with like blatant violence and, and, and they do crazy things like denying lots of people, including Chomsky was denied entry. I remember Archbishop Desmond Tutu, like an amazing figure of the entire apartheid struggle in South Africa uh, told me what, when he went there, like he was, he was treated like, a, like, like, you know, horribly. So I think, inshallah, you know, that's, um, that's why they're doing that. I mean, I'm trying to, to find the positives. Think, I'm not really sure.
0: I think, Frank, that, that is a positive. As you said, the line, when it's cornered, it strikes out. And one of the things that Zionism hasn't been able to reconcile is how a people, when faced with a nuclear power and money and resources and support from all of the colonialist powers, be they Britain, you know, France, the United States, et cetera, how can these people just not give up? And they haven't realised that the concept of the Palestinians, the steadfastness, Samud, but the love of the land is greater than the love of life and in that equation whether it be vietnam or otherwise in in anti-colonial struggles which is what the palestinians are going through it's a zero sum game you make peace or or you lose there's just no two no two ways yeah I want to go back to something you said about your journey to Palestine and and specifically Palestine in itself was a prism as you can see the whole world and John Pilger did a movie called Palestine is Still the Issue. On Tuesday I think or Wednesday they started the Julian Assange trial in London. I was watching the news here and of course there was a Palestinian flag there and I thought to myself, you know, here's the reality, wherever there is injustice there's always a Palestinian with a Palestinian flag. And it's because we know what injustice is innately. Mm. And if you're a, a human with a sense of wanting to write the things, you understand that, in fact, Palestine's the nexus of it, whether it be the fight against anti-colonialism, uh, the fight against capitalism, the fight against might is right and the, uh, you know, the reduction of, a, of an Indigenous people to, to peasanthood. Palestine's the answer. The fact that you yeah. went there and from there, and the thing that most excites me because I'm was, on part of Australians for Palestine, I remember getting the email from your, your organization when you created the Russell Tribunal. Can you take us through yeah, that?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, to go back to what you were saying, um, you see it all over, right? The fact that Palestine is in a way a microcosm of, of what's happening in the world or what could happen in the world in terms of lack of democracy and, and reproduction in a way of the occupation if we if we don't rise up, right? You see it in, in Ferguson for Black Lives Matter. Uh, you see, I mean, the sort of the militarization of the police all over the world, you know, takes Israel as an example, right? And And what shocks me every time there is an uprising or if there is like, you know, terrorist attacks in France and stuff, you can be sure that on TV, you know, on, on, you know, on the radio and stuff, you will have an Israeli expert. And, and that's really shocking mm-hmm. to me because, um, I mean, as activists, we, we are arguing that Israel is not democracy, right? But in fact, Israel might be the model for democracies for the future, right? If we don't do anything about it. So, uh, so that's why, I mean, I think it's, as you said, Nasser, it's it's sort of very sort of intersectional. Um, and, and in a way, all all struggles are, should be sort of, um, you Intertwine. know, joined, uh, intertwined, yeah, exactly. Uh, as far as the, um, I mean, in a way, the Russell Tribunal in Palestine, which started actually in 2008, um, we had our first sort of session in 2008, was some kind of a response to the... Um, Impunity that Israel um, is granted, and also the role of third states and and third parties in making Israel, uh, you know, totally immune to 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 its violation of international law, uh, international human rights law, etc. We, I mean, the people that actually created the tribunal. Had been involved with the Vietnam Tribunal because, um, um, because uh,
1: the the original tribunal. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. To, to, yeah, towards the end of the seventies, Bertrand Russell and uh, Jean-Paul Sartre were created the the Russell Tribunal on on Vietnam, um, and so we thought that because most of the states around the world not only are inactive when it comes to Palestine, but actually are, are very proactive in supporting Israel. We citizens should, should do something about it. And in a way, in the dock during the tribunal was, was not really Israel. It was like, you know, the US, the UN, corporations, the EU um, that are enabling Israel to continue its, its occupation, its ethnic cleansing uh, of, of Palestine land. So, um, so that was the idea of the tribunal. And also, the idea was to, to put people together and, and to also join. As we just mentioned, struggles. So we had, you know, Angela Davis from obviously the Black Civil Rights Movement. We had uh, the late Dennis Banks, who was a founder of the American Indian Movement. We tried to, to sort of argue that everything was related, and that, and that in a way the the struggle will be endless, right? Because I mean, even when Palestine, let's say, will be free, we'll have to continue struggling for something else. Unfortunately, but. Um,
0: We're hoping that Palestine's the domino, or perhaps it might be, you know, Ferguson might be the domino. I read an article today Mm. that was um, written by Yannick Giovanni Marshall, and he he speaks about the violence in America. And he says, on Kenosha and the difficulty of recognising Nazism in the United States. In fact, Hitler modelled Nazism on the supremacist ideology of the Americans. So it might be that our liberation comes from there, you know, the, the latent racism that exists there. Just just before
1: we we go away from the um, the Russell Tribunal, it went for a couple of years. Did it gain gain momentum? Was there more people involved? Did it get more mm-hmm. of a viewage worldwide as it went as mm-hmm. it got on?
2: So it's it's a, it's really a long story, and I think a long answer. Uh, as coordinator myself of the tribunal, um, I've been. You know, it, it started in two thousand and eight, and we finished in two thousand and fourteen. Yeah. So that's was six years. Yeah. Um, I think what it created is mm-hmm. is definitely sort of it helped reinforce the network of and also between activists, between scholars, between lawyers, between jurists, and between celebrities. And that's something that was amazing. In terms of the impact, I think we our session in in South Africa in Cape Town on on Israelis is Israel an, aparthe- an apartheid state? was very successful, and I think we helped push the notion that Israel uh, was an apartheid, state, uh, an apartheid state, but not only in the West Bank, but also in Israel 48. Because, I mean, a lot of people legally had argued that, yes, you could potentially do the apartheid analogy for the West Bank, but they never talked about Israel 48, Palestine 48. But we argued that Israel and the the you know israeli jews had actually um impacted palestinians all over even in diaspora and stuff mm-hmm. so we argued that actually israel was an apartheid state even uh, you know in the sort of 48 borders um then i mean I, I i mean there's a lot of stuff i'm not really happy with not because we didn't do things well i think but i mean the media coverage i thought would have could have been a lot better. But that also, that's obviously also—I mean—they—they they ignore you, right? When you sort of scare them, uh, so, so yeah. I mean, there's—but um, I think we we did create um, also a source of knowledge. I mean, the, the reports of the tribunal I know are, are actually used at the Human Rights Council now and then. I know the ICC, um, like John Dugard, who worked with us, is also involved in the ICC case um, against Israel. So, overall, I think it was it was important, but. Um, i mean obviously palestine is still under the the of israel so it's it's not you know
1: I and mean, if okay. people are looking for something yeah. to to refer to or watch a video it's a great idea to go to the russell tribunal and you'll have all the experts speaking on different subjects yeah. so people should utilize it i mean it's a great body of work that yeah. you guys did
0: so the web- websites there and all mm. the res- resources are there russell tribunal on palestine.com and you can certainly look at the Cape town uh, resolutions and, and the findings that are there. Mm-hmm. So that was an immense body of work and congratulations on that. Thanks, mate. You've been an activist your whole life. What form is your activism for Palestine taking? Today?
2: You know what? Uh, that's also uh, uh, something that I'm sort of frustrated about right now, because as we, you mentioned, like, uh, you know, you know, a couple of minutes ago, I was denied entry in 2013. Um, we, you know, they, were, they, were, they weren't really clear, but I think it's about, it's about 10 years. Um, I haven't been sort of in Palestine for a long time now, um, and I do miss it a lot. And, and Rob, um, I don't know when was the last time you went, but um, when I came back from Palestine the first time, um, my friends were very worried, worried about me. They were like, fuck, you know, Palestine, sorry for swearing, <laughs> uh, Palestine is... Uh, <laughs> is a, um, you know, it's a war zone and stuff. And I was also a bit worried, you know, despite watching documentaries and stuff, I was like, damn, you know, I'm going to a, a rough place. And when I came back and I met my friends and my family and stuff, they were like, how was it? And I couldn't stop smiling. Yeah. I was like, despite the hardship, despite the occupation, the checkpoints, the violence, I had the best 10 days of the last few years. Yeah. I mean, the people were so amazing, so lovely. And I felt this community, this family and stuff. And...
1: So it's exactly how I uh, felt. I think
2: every... Exactly. Yeah, I mean, in, you know, international activists, I think when they come back from Palestine, they come back changed, really. And, uh, and, uh, and the sense of humor as well. People don't realize how funny Palestinians are, you know. You know and
1: uh, so yeah, what, One of them said to me, because oh, I remember saying, I can't believe how happy you are, because, you know, I mean, it's a horrific <laughs> scene that you live in. And, you know, they said, what else do we have? I mean, what else do we have? We're well, at least we're yeah, breathing. Exactly. We may die tomorrow. Let's just have fun.
2: But anyway, so yeah, uh, I I haven't been back for a long time and I feel now my activism is a bit of a like, um, you know, there's a lot of like social media activism or, or, you know, sending petitions, getting people to sign letters and... It's not uh, the same though, is it? like, Like... Let's just say, yeah, exactly. I, I don't really feel like an activist right now, even though obviously everything is important and, and we're organizing campaigns and we're doing lots of stuff that is sort of in the background that people don't know about, you know, writing op-eds for The Guardian with people signing it and uh, and writing on books. And, uh, and I'm actually um, uh, working on a documentary on Palestine. I've been working on it for about four years now. Inshallah, we've got, mm, at, I mean, we've got, a year left at, at max, uh, hopefully. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, I mean, I don't really, I mean, I'm not saying like I should be on the front line and, and carrying weapons and stuff, right? But uh, still, there's something that doesn't feel, uh, it feels like some sort of, some kind of a luxury activism, just being home and, and mostly on the computer and organizing meetings and stuff. But I guess, I, guess, I mean, it's important as well.
0: As um, those Palestinians told you when you're on the ground, your job is to go back and be our mouth to the West. Um, And Mm. whilst it is so the warmth of the Palestinian, the hospitality of that that part of the world is so overwhelming, our job uh, as advocates for Palestine, when we're not actually there, is in fact to speak to the world of the injustice, to act as, you know, pied pipers to get people to follow us because what we need is an international broad-based coalition we need to do to israel what we did to south africa boycott divest and sanction how is the bds movement in yeah
2: i mean i i, I obviously to- totally agree and uh, i mean the bds movement in brussels is is active definitely i mean uh, brussels and belgium is, is is quite a small country uh so it's less um and there's less media around it, and it's less, uh, you know, you see less than from London, for example, or, or New York. But, you know, there's like a few groups. There's also an um, uh, academic boycott group that is trying to, you know, way, recruit um, academics and, and, and people at university to sign letters and stuff. And there's a few actions organized, you know, every now and then, there's demonstrations. Um, there is a place that I helped create, uh, but I've, that I've not been involved with for the last few years, called Café Palestine. Of nice. Because um, we thought that every time you talk about Palestine, it's mostly in you know, a sort of university format or in a meeting format where you have hec- experts and then people listening. Um, uh, and we thought that what about talking about Palestine? with a, you know, a coffee, a beer or whatever in your hand, in a, in a, in a sort of a nice sort of cozy cafe or bar. So, so we, we created that at least five, six years ago now. And we invite people to, to have a chat with, with, with people, but really around a coffee or or whatever people drink. And it makes it for a lot, you know, a a sort of a friendlier experience, at least for people that don't know about Palestine and feel, yeah. And feel like I mean I've had lots of friends tell me like look I don't know any resolutions I don't know what's the res- resolution one one eight two is and I'm like yeah who who gives a, a damn you know you don't you don't need to do that to be involved with with Palestine so so yeah there's stuff happening in Brussels uh, even um and even though and because I've not be, been involved with the, the BDS group for a few months and stuff uh, I feel there's not enough uh, but but it's it's Maybe understandable uh, because people, I mean, obviously with COVID and the rest have a lot of stuff to worry about. But uh, yeah. And the the reality
0: uh, the Zionist lobby is so very strong in the EU. We know too well, you know, King Leopold and his crimes in in Africa. I know that the parliament, they passed an apology or a sorry is that something that is being leveraged or is there an opportunity there with, you know, we were once colonialists, what we did, this is what's happening.
2: Yeah. 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 Actually it is. Yeah. And actually they're going to rename, there is a, um, um, a tunnel like a road that, you know, a tunnel you can take with your cars to sort of shorten your journey called, um, tunnel Leopold II. And I was reading today that it's going to be renamed and they've, um, They've put a panel of citizens from all walks of life and stuff to actually find a new name for for this tunnel. Mm-hmm. So there is this, um, at least on the activist part, because uh, I mean, the in a way, the backlash coming from people that you know, the sort of cancel culture, or the people that that say, oh, now like you know, you know, white culture, whatever, white people are going to be cancelled from history and stuff, which is crazy and, and sickening, is also happening. Uh, and I mean, these type of people, I c- c- tend to sort of, um, you know, uh, I'm not saying own the media, but they always, you know, on TV and stuff, uh, saying that, yeah, obviously we understand that, you know, Brown and black people should have rights, but why would you, you know, cancel th- the history of Belgium and, you know, why would you, you know, uh, whatever broke or whatever, a statue of Leopold too. And, um so there is this discussion but i think it's happening all over the world right now right and uh, uh, but it's important to push for for and to understand what white privilege is right because i mean it's tough i've got to say it's, it's a tough thing to understand that even if you're not wealthy even if you're not you know in the high sphere of like political life or something being white make you privileged compared to, you know, at least in Europe, compared to being black, brown or, or Hispanic or something. And that's something like as privileged people, you should acknowledge that and 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 give it back, right? Or at least
1: give some of it back. But people are, find it very hard. It's, it's incredible that they find it so hard to actually just acknowledge or admit. I mean, it's pretty easy to, to establish it.
0: Well, they find it hard. I mean, in the United States, they're tearing down Confederate statues. These are people who fought a civil war, you know, the country fought itself because they wanted the yeah. right to own people. In Dixieland, mm. we want to own people, slavery. That that Confederate yeah. flag today, it's synonymous, eh, with the Israeli flag, but they were out there going, but this mm. is our heritage. How could you want to maintain yeah. a link to heritage that was so barbaric? Surely at some point mm. you atone and then endeavour to move forward. That's why there should be no uh, Leopold tunnel. There should be no Leopold anything. Now, Frank, you have written a number of books and you've edited a number of books. Your most recent one is "We Still Here" by Mark Lamont Hill, who's a, a fantastic friend of Palestine and a, and a fantastic African American. Can you tell us about that book?
2: Yeah, so we um, actually, when when uh, sort of the the lockdown started here in in, in Belgium, which was I think mid March, um, I sort of thought about ways to sort of you know being stuck at home, sort of um, do do things that could be useful so i started like a series of interviews um, that i've called covid19 chronicles so I, I was fantastic. doing sort of it's really good let's say yeah like video podcasts with with people first which was sort of very focused on on covid19 understanding what what it was so i spoke to a lot of doctors epidemiologists um, nurses and and slowly because covid in a way acted like um, acted like a uh, Help me out, uh, help, acted like, you know, uh, like revealed what was going, what was all the sort of stuff that was going wrong with society uh, in, in a huge way. I started to broaden the interview. So I was talking to, I spoke to Angela Davis and to uh, to Noam Chomsky and others. Um, and uh, I did a few interviews with Mark, who is, as you said, like an author, academic and journalist. Um, he's he's a 43 years old, very active. He's got a bookshop in, in Philly in the US uh, where he's doing lots of amazing stuff. And, um, and after the interview, like Mark and I were like, hey, why won't you, you know, maybe we should do a book of interviews, you know, related to what's happening in the US. You know, white supremacy, Black Lives Matter, the abolition of jails and prisons and the police. So um, we did this very quickly because I think we started like three months ago. We did like interviews after interviews after interviews. And then Haymarket Books, which is a, an amazing publishing house, a very radical in the U.S., uh, agreed to publish it. So uh, and to to push it, so to come out very fast. So uh, so yeah, it's coming out November tenth, and it's about it's about what 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 can we do to and to actually end uh, all the sort of not all the ills of society, but at least this sort of racist white supremacy that you know. Because, I mean, the left is getting ground, but we cannot sort of fool ourselves, right? I mean, in the US and you can see in Europe as well, the hard right, the fascist right is also gaining ground. And then more and more, I mean, you can hear, I mean, honestly, I can hear racist comments on the bus, um, you know, in the streets that I've never heard before. People used to be silent about it, right? Now, because of Trump, Bolsonaro, and stuff, they're like, hey, the president is saying racist stuff, so maybe we, we can say it involved. as well. So, yeah, hey, exactly. And it's it's very scary. You go, damn, how how can you say this in front of people without realizing how fucking sickening, oh, sorry again, <laughs> sickening it is, right? You, you'd have to beat me.
0: No, no, it's I mean, look, it's... It's crystal nacht all over again, you know. Whether whether it's uh, mm. Ferguson or Kenosha or George Floyd or, you know, shooting a guy six times in the back, you know. I mean, this is just crazy shit.
2: And what's stunning as well, like to me, is that it keeps happening. I mean, after George Floyd, I mean, if I was a police officer, I'll go like, shit, I'm gonna I'm gonna remain a bit calm now. and people are watching. <laughs> and after George Floyd, yeah, and I mean, after George, it keeps happening, and you go, you know, it shows our. Uh, how ingrained the racism and the impunity is because cops keep shooting. Yeah, that's at a subconscious level. Like It's that's that, that. Exactly, that. yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you've got that kid in America, you know, who's 17 years old. His mum drives him across a state border. He open carries a gun he's not legally allowed to do. An automatic weapon he fires into um, a crowd. He kills yeah. three people or two people. The police give him a bottle of water and drive him home.
2: Yeah, I know. I mean... Yeah.
0: And this guy yeah. wanted to be a cop. Well, he should have just waited to become a cop and then he could have killed then people for
1: free. Yeah. You know? yeah. With
0: yeah. The fact that he did it as a kid. But, and then the president says, well, you know, he didn't do anything wrong. He was just trying to protect property. You know, what?
2: But that's that's actually something we're talking about in the book that, in a way, the ancestor of the police in the US were the slave patrols. Yeah. So, so you realize that police are not really here to protect you. They're here to protect property. And property can be... Uh, a black man a slave or can be something else oh, but yeah. you know and it's the same in france as well i mean i mean there's been uh whistleblowers every day no not every day but, you know every month coming out explaining how racism is ingrained in the french police because you know the french police used to you know be pro french algeria and the rest so it's a uh, it's something we really have to um dismantle but uh, yeah
0: frank we've run out of time thank you so very much and we hope to have you back on one day soon
2: oh yeah for sure thanks guys thanks frank thank you so much
0: and that was frank barat who's a human rights activist and author he's the coordinator of the russell tribunal on palestine and is now the president of the palestine legal action network his books include gaza in crisis corporate complicity in israel's occupation and on palestine and he's most recently edited mark lamont hill's book we still here I'm sure you'll agree, a fantastic advocate for Palestine. And remember to share the podcast, tell your friends, and there's never been a better time to free Palestine.